Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Beloved, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Deuteronomy 18. We'll be reading from verses 15 through 22 of Moses' address to the nation of Israel before they entered into the promised land. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. Let's hear God's holy word. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. The Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has, spoke, has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that word, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, How we praise you for your wonderful word, which tells us of the living word, our Savior Jesus Christ. O Lord, that we would ask that you would bless us now, bless us with the filling of your spirit, that our minds would be renewed by your word, and our faith in Christ be strengthened as we look to your word. We ask this in the name of our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Beloved, uh, we begin our series this evening, and in Old Testament history, we see how the Lord established three offices within the covenant community, which were foundational to the nation's spiritual, political, and moral order. And these three offices were prophet, priest, and king. And these three offices were like three rivers flowing throughout Israel's history. For centuries, they twisted and turned, traveling their own separate course. But there were hints, prophecies that these offices, these three offices, like three rivers merging into one, these three offices would converge together 
to be held by one man, the promised Messiah, who would be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king in one. So over this Advent season, we we will be seeing how Jesus, our Messiah, is all three, and why each role is important for us. This evening, we're going to look briefly at the office of prophet to see how the Messiah fulfills uniquely that office and what significant it has for us, not only for our future destiny, but also for our present reality. Now look again to your Bibles, to Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22. Now, as we look at this passage, we have to ask ourselves, what is going on in these verses? What is the context or the occasion surrounding them? While Moses is giving his final address to the Israelites before they enter the promised land, after 40 long years of wandering in the wilderness. And Moses wants to prepare them for what lies ahead because he will not be going with them. And since he won't be going with them into the promised land, he reassures them in verse 15 that the Lord will raise up another prophet like him to take his place. And this must have been a great relief to them because they certainly didn't want a repeat of the terrifying experience that they had had before, which Moses alludes to in verse 16, where he reminds them of what they said decades earlier when they said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. Verses 16 and 17 refer back to Exodus 19 when 40 years earlier the Israelites were camped on Mount Sinai and the Lord descended on a mountain to speak and when he appeared the earth trembled beneath their feet and the mountain filled with smoke, and the fire raged, and there was the sound of thunder and trumpet, and lightning flashed all around. But what was even more terrifying than this display of God's power was to hear the Lord's voice, the Lord's voice giving them the Ten Commandments, Why, it was such a terror that their forefathers said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And so Moses goes on to say in verse 17, And so the Lord was gracious. And he said to me, I will honor their request. I won't speak to them directly. Rather, after you, Moses, have died and they go into the promised land, I will raise up another prophet like you from among the people. And that prophet will speak the words that I give him. And whatever he says in my name, the people are to follow. And if they disobey, I will require from them their very life. Well, these verses indicate that Moses was a prophet. And what did Moses do as a prophet? Well, as a prophet, Moses predicted, uh, presented, represented God to the people, speaking to them the word of God that the Lord gave him. 
And there were times when the prophet Moses acted also as an intercessor, beseeching the Lord on behalf of the people. Now, in his role as representative, as God's representative, the Lord gave Moses the power to do signs and wonders to authenticate that his message was of a divine origin. And as he declared God's word, he acted as a mediator in giving the law on Mount Sinai to the people, speaking on the Lord's behalf to the people. And not only did he declare God's word, he predicted God's plan, telling the Israelites what would happen in the future. And we see an example of this right here. In this prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, Moses makes clear that there will be prophets like him that God will raise up after him. And like Moses, they will declare God's word, acting as his representative before Israel and other nations. And like Moses, we know that some prophets, such as Elijah and Elisha, were given power to perform signs and wonders to demonstrate that their message had the seal of approval from the Lord. And like Moses, they predicted God's plan for the future. And we see in the prophets how both the declaration of God's word and their prediction of God's plan went hand in hand. We see this throughout Old Testament history. The nation of Israel would fall into idolatry and apostasy, and God would raise up prophets to declare God's word, calling the people to repent of their sin and to return to their covenant faithfulness by obeying the law which Moses had given them. And the prophets predicted what would happen in the future, that their failure to repent would result in the nation experiencing covenant curses for their disobedience and that they would be taken into exile. And this is what happened in the northern kingdom. Prophets like Amos and Hosea decried the apostasy and injustice to the weak and the poor, and they predicted that, that if the people did not listen and repent, then boom, exile. And that is what happened when the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. due to their sin. They were carted off into exile. And the same thing happened for the remaining part of the nation to Judah in the south. God sent prophets like Jeremiah to remind them of their covenant obligations that Moses had mediated and called them to repent. And if they didn't repent, then boom, they would be sent into exile, which is what happened when the Babylonians conquered Judah in 586 B.C., but it was not all doom and gloom. With the message of warning, the prophets also offered a message of hope and of comfort. The prophets predicted that the kingdom would be reestablished after 70 years of exile and that the Lord would usher into a new covenant with the coming of the Messiah who would be the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, the ultimate 
prophet. And the Old Testament ends with the prophet Malachi around 400 B.C. And then centuries later, around 30 A.D., at the shores of Galilee, we encounter a man who had fed over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And the people marveled at what they had just witnessed. And they said, surely this Jesus is the prophet who is to come into the world. And to them, he was not just a prophet, but he was the prophet. They believed him to be the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy 18. And Jesus himself claimed to be a prophet. For how did he react when his neighbors and family rejected him? He said of himself in Matthew 13, 57, a prophet is not honored everywhere, is honored everywhere, but in his own town and in his own home. And like the prophets before him, he spoke God's word to the people. If you look at John 12, 47 through 49, you will see that what Jesus says there mirrors what Moses says about the prophet to come in Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18.17 says, I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. And what does Jesus say in John 12.49? For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. And then in Deuteronomy 18.19, Moses said that if you don't listen to the prophet there will be judgment. And what does Jesus say in John 12, 47 through 48? Well, he says something very similar. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. It's very interesting, isn't it? For you have people in Jesus' day seeing him as the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy about a prophet, and Jesus himself identifies as that prophet. And also in John 12, he refers back to Deuteronomy 18 as if it were written about him. Well, you may be thinking that's all very well and good. Jesus thought that he was a prophet. Anyone could think or claim to be a prophet. Lots of people in the world and throughout history have claimed to be prophets. Well, like other prophets, Jesus predicted history. For example, in Luke 21, he predicted the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, which came to pass in 70 A.D., but even more significant, he predicted his own destruction. In Luke 18, verses 31 through 33, he said to his disciples, speaking about himself, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. 
For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Now, according to Deuteronomy 18.22, when a prophet claimed divine authority and predicted the future and it didn't happen, you should not be afraid of him. Because what he said is not from the Lord. Well, as a prophet, Jesus predicted the circumstances of his own death. And even more incredible, he said that he would rise again from the dead on the third day. So the question is, was Jesus a true prophet or a false prophet? Did he rise again from the dead? All Christianity hinges right on that one question. Our worshiping here every Sunday centers on the answer to that one question. We can go so far as to say that all history, past, present, and future, depends on that one answer. For as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been risen from the dead, your faith is worthless. Well, beloved, there is so much evidence to affirm that answer that it would take hours to go through it all. But let me point out just one of them. And it's from Acts 3, 22 through 23. And in this passage in Acts 3, Peter is preaching in the temple after Pentecost. And he had just healed a lame man in the power of Christ. And he claims that Jesus Christ, who they had crucified, had risen from the dead. Now that raises a question, doesn't it? How do you explain the change that has taken place in Peter? How do you explain his boldness? Because when Jesus was lying in a tomb, Peter was expecting his own doom. Peter, who betrayed Jesus, was hiding behind locked doors, afraid that the authorities would come and arrest him as well. So how do you explain his willingness to go public, to risk his life and claim that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, that would be absolute insanity unless it was true, and unless Jesus really rose from the dead. I noticed something else there in that passage from Acts 3, in verses 22 and 23, where Peter says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So Peter here quotes Deuteronomy 18, making a direct connection that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18. He is the ultimate prophet that Moses predicted. Peter recognized him as the ultimate prophet, and as a prophet, Jesus had to speak truth. Otherwise, he would be a false prophet and a liar, and that we would then have no need to heed what he said. 
So we have this connection. This line in Scripture between Deuteronomy 18 and Acts 3, a line that spans 12 centuries from when Moses first predicted the prophet to Peter proclaiming Christ was that prophet. Now Moses was a distinguished prophet. Deuteronomy 34 says that since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses because the Lord knew him face to face. He spoke with him face to face. But Jesus, Jesus was a greater prophet because he didn't speak to God face to face. He was, is the face of God. As Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Moses was a great prophet because he was the mediator in giving the law, representing God before Israel. But in Jesus, there he is even a greater prophet with a greater mediation. He didn't come to give the law. He came to fulfill it. And by his life of perfect obedience to the law, he became the perfect representative for us, a perfect substitute to fulfill the curse of the law that was due for our sin. And by his full and complete sacrifice, he fulfilled the sacrificial system found in the law. So we see that there is this red line between Mount Sinai with the prophet Moses giving the law to Calvary's hill where Jesus, the greater prophet, fulfilled it on the cross, paying the penalty for us who broke God's law. Moses gave his sweat and toil to be God's prophet in Israel, serving them for 40 years. He had to deal with their complaining and their faithfulness, faithlessness, but he didn't die for them. But Jesus Christ, the greater prophet, not only put up with the rejection of his people, their hatred for him, their mocking, But this prophet, Jesus, this prophet died for his people, receiving what we deserved so that we would receive what we didn't deserve. As a prophet, Jesus performed the greatest signs and wonders that we can ever fathom or dream of. He became sin who knew no sin, destroying the power of sin and death that ensnared us. And Moses was a great prophet because he spoke God's word. But Jesus, Jesus is a greater prophet because he is the living word incarnate. As Moses, and Moses, as a prophet, spoke the truth of God. But Jesus is the greater prophet because he is truth himself. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Have you ever thought about that before? That truth is not an equation or a system of thought. No. True truth, truth 
with a capital T, is a person who is the embodiment of all that is true. And that means in order to know true truth, you have to know the person who is truth. You have to have a a relationship with him. Because in him resides all truth on every conceivable subject since he is the one who created it all. So in him, in Christ, we find all the answers to life regarding human suffering, death, sexuality, gender, marriage, ethics, finances, the role of government, a just society, the answer to racism, sexism, and world peace. And Jesus the prophet has given us God's written word, which is all about him, the living word. And you can't really know his word or understand it or accept it unless you know the ultimate prophet who gave it. Because knowing truth means knowing him who is truth and having a relationship with him. Knowing Jesus is like knowing a prophet who knows everything about you. And this is what he knows about us, that our hearts are completely corrupt, that we are a people who are in darkness, walking in shame and despair. But Jesus, out of his loving kindness, predicted through the prophets of old that he would come himself to remove the shame and guilt, freeing us forever from it by his death and guaranteeing us new life through his resurrection. The question then is this. Will you heed the words of this prophet and receive by faith what he says to you in his word? That he died for your sins once and for all so that you can have peace and joy and life everlasting. And beloved, if you do have a relationship with Christ, then you are a part of a fulfillment of a prophecy yourself. Ezekiel prophesied in chapter 36 that the Lord would do what the Lord would do one day, which has been our experience as believers in Christ. The Lord said through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I, which I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, hardened against God, a heart at enmity against God. And what does he give us? He gives us a heart of flesh that desires to know him. And he says, I will put my spirit within you. And because you have my spirit within you, you are going to respond positively to my word so that you desire to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So, beloved, if you are trusting in Christ today, then what has the Lord done That through the power of the living word, Jesus Christ, his written word has come alive to you. So that when you read it, you believe it, and it clicks. 
And as you read it, the Word of God is powerful. It is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing down to our very souls, so that when you read it and you meditate on it, it changes you. It convicts you of sin. It renews your mind. It instructs you on how you try to live as part of God's kingdom in a fallen world. It transforms you more and more to be like Jesus as you abide in Christ and his word. So if you love Christ, the living word, then ought we not to love his written word? Because it's all about him and his love and his mercy and grace to us. With someone who has shown you such great love, Wouldn't you want to read what he has to say? You know, it's very humbling to know that it is Christ who has opened up our eyes to his word. Because when we look at our lives, we know we hardly deserve such a privilege. And yet out of his grace, out of his sheer unconditional love, he makes it possible for us to know and to love his written word. Think about it. You could be reading the word and understanding it and then pass it on to the person standing next to you. And if they are not a believer in Christ, they don't know. And if they don't know the living word, the written word will be meaningless to them. It will be all foolishness. So we don't get it because we're smarter than the average bear or more in tune with the divine. No, we only get it because the Lord got our hearts and changed them. So when we engage with those who are still in darkness, what should our attitude be? Well, we have no right to be prideful or boastful about what we know, but for the grace of God we would still be in darkness as well. No, I think we should be more like a beggar who found bread and we offer it to another beggar who doesn't even know he is starving. We were once in darkness, but we have seen a great light and there are people all around us who need to see that light as well. But how will they see that light unless we show them the light? The prophet Moses once said, Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them, and how his words find their fulfillment with the coming of the Messiah. Our great prophet Jesus has given us what the prophets of old had, his word before you and his spirit within you. We don't speak new revelation since it's all complete in Christ, but we do share what has already been revealed in his word. And when the prophet Moses was with the Lord, his face shone with the reflection of God's glory. And beloved, God's word says that we shine as well. Philippians 2 says that, As we hold out the word of life, we will shine like stars in a dark and crooked world. So what do we do? We go and we shine.
Well, this evening we have seen how the Lord is the ultimate prophet who not only spoke God's word, he is the word incarnate and truth himself. So the question is, we who have been so blessed to know the word, this truth, what will we do with it? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending us your Son, the living Word, to proclaim your Word through him, that all in him can have everlasting life as we put our trust in him. We thank you that he was willing to go to the cross and to bear our judgment upon himself so that we can have new life. And we pray, Lord, that in the new life that you've given to us, that we would be faithful to your word and share it with those around us. We thank you for the wonderful grace that you've shown to us. And we pray that, Lord Jesus, that you, the living word, would be at work in our lives, that we would share your word with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.